everyone. Welcome back to Here Apologetics. So glad you joined us today. I'm back with Josh Yen. Um, what's up, Josh? How's life? I'm doing well, thank you. It's been a crazy week and actually a crazy month so far following the Euros at all these unholy hours of the day, but it's all good. <laughs> How are you doing, Zach? I'm doing pretty good. I can't complain. I mean, I always complain that the Euros are like when I'm working, but I, I mean, the Euros are when you're, you should be sleeping. So I guess it's rougher for you than it is for me. Yeah. So, <laughs> so well, today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be critiquing three different Christian apologetic arguments. Um, so we have different clips queued up, one from Frank Turek on the problem of evil, one from William Lane Craig on purpose without God, and one from Ken Ham on young earth creationism. Um, so we're going to go through these different clips, um, queue them up one by one, and kind of give our thoughts. Um, Josh and I probably aren't like completely aligned, so it should be interesting, um, especially with the Craig clip. I don't think we're going to agree, but you know that's the fun of it. And at least for me, like I see this as like a constructive thing where we're, what we're doing is just critiquing these ideas, trying to like make our worldview better and understand reality better. Um, so it's not like, oh, Craig debunked or Turk debunked or Ham debunked because, you know, there's arguments, counter arguments. There's very smart people um, that can have all three of these. So, Josh, do you have any thoughts before we get going? Definitely. I completely agree with you on that. It's very important that we have this kind of internal discussion between Christians as well, because I think a lot of times atheists like have this view of Christians just being in this like Christian echo chamber where they just agree on each other about absolutely everything, when in fact there's a lot of not division, but there's a lot of different ideas, even within the Christian church and the, the different Christians. And I think it's very interesting to just see, well, what do other people believe? Am I believing in something right? Or is someone else have a better idea than me? And you have to also critique your own views and just having this kind of internal discussion within Christians or within Christianity is just very important and very helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think because I think that like all of us would agree, like us and people we're going to be like reviewing here or critiquing, um, like God exists, Jesus rose from the dead, like we'd all affirm that and like Trinitarianism and these big things. But it's like on these other issues, that's where we might disagree. Um, so, yeah, it should be a lot of fun. So what we'll do now, if you're ready, Josh, is we're going to queue up the first clip, which is going to be Frank Turek talking about the problem of evil. You can hear that? Yep, hear it all right. Ladies and gentlemen, does evil disprove God? Some atheists say it does. While it is a very difficult and expansive issue, certainly nothing we're going to answer here completely in two minutes, I can say this. I don't think evil can disprove God. In fact, if evil exists, God exists. It's exactly the opposite. Evil disproves atheism. Say why? Well, in order for evil to exist, good must exist. But in order for good to exist in an objective sense, God must exist. So evil doesn't disprove God because you wouldn't even know what evil was unless good existed and you wouldn't know what good existed unless God himself existed because God is the standard of good. Evil doesn't disprove God. It may prove there's a devil out there, but it can't disprove God. Now, we can ask a lot of questions as why would a good God allow evil to continue? And that's what we do in the book, stealing from God, why atheists need God to make their case. So if you want to go much deeper into that topic, you can. But the main point here is evil can't disprove God because evil requires good and good requires God. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, the shadows prove the sunshine. In order to have shadows, you have to have sunshine. Oh, you can have sunshine without shadows, but you can't have shadows without sunshine. You can have good without evil, but you can't have evil without good. So evil doesn't disprove God. It actually shows God exists. Yeah, this is an interesting um, clip. I think, like, I think Turk's argument would be something like, um, if evil exists then moral realism is true. And if moral realism is true, God exists. Um, so I think that's kind of what he's getting at. Um, but I don't know. I think there's a lot of problems with it. Um, what are your thoughts, Josh? 
I think the first thing we have to do is appreciate the cinematography. I mean, man, the amount <laughs> of camera angles that that video has and how it perfectly moves up and down to fit his face is just beautiful. If I, I've always had that feeling <laughs> that if we had this matching cinematography, we all have just blown up all over YouTube already. So maybe we should start hiring a new cameraman to film us talking. But, but you know, I think that I completely agree with you. I think that is a very good summary of that video. You do have that kind of idea saying if evil exists, then there's some sense of moral realism, but then moral realism is only dependent on God. So I think I think that's quite a good way to put it, or at least a good summary of his argument. Yeah. So I mean I guess I can kind of just go through like my issues, like critiquing this argument. Um and I think like one of the things is like at least a lot of times, like theists assume that the only way we get moral realism is like if, if if God exists, which I mean, it may be true, but it's not a given. So like, if I think about like Turk's argument, um, it's not necessarily true that like if like if moral realism is true, then theism is true. Um, so there's like one issue there. Um, maybe it's true or not, but like the big like the bigger problem I have is like the problem of evil isn't like what Turk really thinks it is. It's more of like an internal cr critique of theism. So it kind of says like, if God exists, like this perfectly good being, we expect certain things maybe not to occur, like say like natural disasters or like evils and like the history of the, of the past or like animal suffering, all these things. And like, so this doesn't really get like around to like the actual problem of evil. Cause it's more of like an internal critique of theism rather than just like, um, well, if evil exists, it has to be like this real true thing. And oh, it can only be this real true thing if God exists. So I don't know. That's a couple of my issues with it. I completely agree with you on that, especially the part about kind of him not understanding that the problem of evil is an internal problem. I think that it's possible. And I do think that the moral domain is something which is not, it, it's not exactly fully natural in the sense that there is kind of a supernatural, not sure that's perhaps the best way to put it or with the wording, but there is some sense of, it's impossible to prove a natural kind of means the, the existence of moral values or something like that. But but then, but then, of course, that can be put aside for now because I think it is a very, very big topic and I don't think the video does that topic enough justice. Like, There's so many different types of moral kind of ideas or moral kind of method making in that sense, which is just so much bigger than this kind of small video. But at the same time, I and I also agree with you on the sense that, well, when you see what the problem of evil is trying to achieve, it's not necessarily saying, well, evil exists and therefore God does not exist in the sense that, evil exists in the world and we have to achieve it. You can just say, well, evil exists in the Bible. The Bible itself kind of suggests that evil exists. Well, that is inconsistent mm -hmm. with the, the God of the Bible. And as you've said, it's completely internal kind of critique. It got nothing to do with whether you believe in it yourself. You don't need to believe in evil to make the problem of evil because the Christian does believe in evil. It's saying, well, there is some contradiction with kind of the beliefs that the Christian has. So I completely mm -hmm. agree with you on that one. Yeah, I think it's just important to emphasize like, Turk's argument really isn't a response to the problem of evil. It's more of just another argument for God. Cause I, I really think that like what he's trying to get at is like, well, there's more realism. And like, I get like, when I read like things about like the problem of evil and like some of the horrendous things that happens, like it just makes me feel like more realism has to be true. Like it just seems so obvious. Um, but then that's like, that's a different argument. Like that's kind of like a moral argument. So you can turn it from the problem of evil into like a moral argument, but like we only deal with the problem of evil. Um, church argument really isn't going to hold much water. Um, so yeah, do you have any kind of other, other thoughts before we go on to this next clip? Not much. I completely agree with you on that. I, I, I just have, yeah, it's just kind of like, as a moral argument itself, it's an interesting kind of discussion, but that's kind of just a side note and less so about the problem of evil itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. All right, so what we're doing now is look at this next clip, which is William Lane Craig talking about purpose without God. So much for coming this evening to share this special 
forum with us. The question, is there meaning to life, is closely connected to another equally profound question, namely, does God exist? For if God does not exist, there is no transcendent reality. And so both mankind and the universe, as a result, are inevitably doomed to death. Like all biological organisms, each of us must die. And the universe, too, faces a death of its own. Scientists tell us that the universe is expanding, and everything in it is growing further and further apart. As it does so, it grows colder and colder, and its energy is used up. Eventually, all the stars will burn out, and all matter will collapse into dead stars and black holes. There will be no light. There will be no heat. There will be no life. Only the corpses of dead stars and galaxies ever expanding into the endless darkness and the cold recesses of space, a universe in ruins. This is not science fiction. As unimaginable as it may seem, this will happen. So not only is the life of each individual person doomed, the entire human race is destined to destruction. I think that's the gist of it. Craig is such a good orator. Like, it's pretty crazy. Like, I was just thinking about it. Like, he, this is like one of his best, like, kind of like opening statements in any sort of debate. Um, but with regards to like, what do you think about like the content of this, Josh? I, I think the content where he's picking up on is correct in the sense that I think, I think it is very difficult, especially if you take into consideration who he is discussing it with, and mainly he's trying to counter Rebecca Goldstein instead of uh, rebutting Jordan B. Peterson, but, but he's kind of critiquing the humanist kind of manifesto or that humanist idea that man can find meaning and value through reason and empiricism alone. And I think that's a, a, a poor argument. I don't think, I don't think that the the domain or at least that the findings or of, of or the axiology of finding kind of meaning and value can be found in reality. And I think that Craig does this quite well in the sense that he's saying, well, if you look at reality, if you look at a physical world, let's not think that he's saying God is required or, or not that like, you can put that away or put that on the side for now. If you just look at the physical world via science, can you find value and meaning there? The answer I think is no. And I think that's a val a very good argument from Craig. Of course, he does emphasize it even more with his beautiful oration. I mean, man, I could listen to the guy for hours, but mm -hmm. but like I, at least I think the arguments are true. It just, he just strengthens it with like his a a anecdotes and examples. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, I, th I think, like, I partially, like, agree with, like, you and Craig, but I partially don't. Um, like, I think with, in terms of, like, well, like, if, like, if atheism is true or something, then, like, we're all headed to, like, the universe running out of energy and stars and everything ends up dead. Like, he's dead on there. Like, there's no, like, I think it'd be very hard to argue that if atheism is true, there's some sort of, like, ultimate meaning. Um, but I think the problem is a lot of atheists point that out. And he's like, just because there's no ultimate meaning doesn't mean you can, you can't find meaning, say, in, like, this life, say, in, like, having, like, a family or relationships or finding value in like your job or making the world a better place, at least temporarily. Um, so that's like my kind of issue is like, yes, like it almost seems like he might be just like, they might be talking about different things. Like Craig's like right that there'd be no like ultimate objective, like meaning if atheism is true, but just because that's true, I don't think that means that like you can't find value and say like the everyday or like your life or your purpose, um, things like that, if that makes sense. Um, so yeah. I think that definitely makes sense. And I think there, as you said, there is kind of a bit of a disconnect between what some of the humanists like to say and what Craig is kind of saying. Craig is arguing, is there any intrinsic value? Is there any intrinsic meaning to human life? And that might be no. But then at the same time, can you create meaning? Can you create that value for yourself? And 
Well, I think the most intuitive answer to that is yes, because of course you could create value for yourself. The only problem is as well, is that creation very persuasive in the sense that mm-hmm. if someone's actually struggling with the lack of meaning and you tell them, well, just create meaning for yourself, that might not be the mm-hmm. most valuable thing. And, and especially if you're talking about humanism and people like secular humanism, like Matt Dillahunty, if he's going to, if you're going to use that standard of arguing about the existence of God to the argument of your creation of morals, I think there's a bit of a disconnect here. And I think this kind of disconnect would tie into my discussion about Ken Ham later. So just keep that in mind a bit for those who are watching. But it's just kind of the idea that their acceptance of the creation of their own meanings and value for themselves is more than just an act of faith. It's just complete creation ex nihilo of their own values and meaning. And mm-hmm. and if you accept that, then I, I think it, you can accept. I think it's reasonable to accept that because if you're, if you're on the verge of depression and severe like mental kind of anxiety and you have to create your value to survive and really maintain an existence, a reasonable existence in this world, I think such an action is is reasonable and is acceptable. Though I do think that if you look at it from a philosophical perspective, it's not satisfying in that sense, even though it's definitely reasonable kind of itself. Yeah, I think I agree with you a lot more than I thought I would on this. Um, because like, yeah, like I, like if you are say like atheism is true and like you're depressed or anxious or something, like it's pretty hopeless. Like you can you can create your own value, but if you kind of realize like where we're all headed to, um, that could be like, that could be very much a challenge. So I, I agree with you a lot um so i think like my like why i brought this up is i feel like a lot of times like in this like is life meaningful or meaningless without god um like i feel like people just talk past each other a lot of the times so (laughs) that's like why i brought that up because i think like like the christian theists when they make this argument is ultimately like a lot of times they like to talk about like the end game like there's no end like if atheism is true there's no end like you don't live forever or anything like that whereas like atheism is true you do but then the atheists are like well let's talk about now um so i think that's probably like the issue and like why this gets brought up a lot yeah and and do you mind if you uh, continue playing to the part of Nietzsche because I want to critique William yeah, on his usage of Nietzsche there because mm-hmm. I think because have you played that part yet or do you or do, is it still um, in the clip like, do you know where do you right? know where it is is it coming I'm up actually not really sure. I think it's around six minutes or something but I can't really exactly remember where it was but I think that William Lane Craig does not fully represent Nietzsche in in the way that is best kind of usage. And I don't think you need to, uh, actually you don't mind about putting it on because basically what Nietzsche, oh, I mean, what, not, not what Nietzsche says, what William Lane Craig says is uh, people like Nietzsche, Sartre, and I think it was Dostoevsky, there was a third example there, say that um, they admit that there is no meaning to life. And I would agree with him in the sense that they don't accept that, or at least Sartre and Nietzsche don't accept that there's intrinsic meaning in life, but then they at the same time are not as, nihilistic as what uh, William Lane Craig kind of presents them as because we need to remember when you're reading Nietzsche, a lot of times when we're reading him, we're reading him under the lens of what people tell us to believe about him instead of what he's actually saying himself. Because a lot of people, when they say, well, who's the greatest nihilist philosopher? The the first person that people turn towards is normally Nietzsche. When in fact, what Nietzsche was arguing was not that nihilism was a good thing, but in fact, in his in every single work that Nietzsche writes, he's saying nihilism is the biggest threat to humanity. And his critique of Christianity was in itself the fact that Christianity was a nihilistic religion. It wasn't that Christianity was saving people from nihilism. It was that Christianity ultimately led to nihilism. So the idea, I think, that William Lane Craig suggests that Nietzsche is like kind of promoting this sense of nihilism is wrong because, because ultimately what Nietzsche says is, and I think it is an interesting thing to think about. And, and Feuerbach picks upon this as well a bit in his works, Lessons of Christianity. He says, well, Christianity 
focuses on the future, the eternal life, the immortal salvation in the future. But then at the same time, well, what about life in the now? Is Christianity a pure forsaking, forsaking the physical life in, in favor of the eternal? Is that what Christianity is? And that's fundamentally the critique of Nietzsche and Feuerbach, because both of them are saying, well, you are giving up, you're nihilistic in the sense that you're giving up our current existence in the world today. And of course, there's a response to that and saying, well, God doesn't tell you to give up world in the physical world right now. What he's telling you to do is, well, you have to make the most of your physical world to prepare you for your relationship with God in the future. So I don't think that critique holds. But at the same time, it's too easy, I think, to just label all these Nietzschean philosophy and Sartre, Sartre and just say they're all nihilistic. That's all wrong. I, I think that's too like a bit of a generalization of their philosophy. Hmm. Yeah, I, I, I track a lot with what you're saying. Um, but you ready to go to this final clip with Ken Ham? Sure, that sounds good. So I think now instead of critiquing William Lane Craig, we're going to defend William Lane Craig. So it should be fun. Oh, and he lost it. Some of you might have heard of Dr. William Lane Craig, who's research professor of philosophy at Talbot School of Theology associated with Biola in California. Listen to what he said in 2009. How old is the world? Best estimates today are around 13.7 billion years or so. Now, this is good. You see, I, I, this is a position I can embrace because there are people who, who will sit here and say, no, it's six and a half thousand years old. Um, that, that is not a tenable position. I don't think it's plausible. Uh, the, the arguments that I give are right in line with mainstream science. Uh, I'm not bucking up against mainstream science okay. in presenting these arguments. Rather, I'm going with the flow of what contemporary cosmology and astrophysics uh, supports. Is there a contradiction? By the way, they always say science, mainstream science. The word science means knowledge. Observational science, operational science is what builds our technology. And we all agree on that. But when he's using the word science, he's referring to historical science, beliefs, knowledge concerning the past when you weren't there. This is a problem. I believe many of these theologians, many of these Christian academics do not understand science. They do not understand the difference between historical science and observational science. And then with William Lane Craig, it even gets worse. Because in 2013, this year, on I presume it was a podcast, it's an audio uh, of, of him. Listen to what he says. Yes, I've seen a comparable statistic that says that over 50% of evangelical pastors think that the world is less than 10,000 years old. Now, when you think about that, Kevin, that is just hugely embarrassing that over half of our ministers really believe that the universe is only around 10,000 years old. This is just scientifically... It's nonsense, and yet this is the view that the majority of our pastors hold. It's, it's really quite shocking when you think about it. I'll tell you what is shocking. I'll tell you what is embarrassing. That for me about Christian academics like William Lane Craig believe in man's historical science and use that to reinterpret God's word and thus undermine the authority of the word of God. It's about time we stood up against that. Awesome. And there's my soccer host. Josh, what are your thoughts on, on that? Well, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I raised this video because I rose it to critique both William Lane Craig and Ken Ham, because I think both of them dealt with the situation rather horribly. At first, I think since we were already critiquing William Lane Craig, we may as well go on continuing to critique William Lane Craig since we're already on that kind of, mm -hmm. on that kind of direction already. And I think that, and this ties into my previous point about accepting beliefs because they're so fundamentally important for your axiology or for accepting beliefs which are so fundamentally important for your existence. And, and in the same vein, I think it's too easy for people to just, just throw hate on people who are young earth creationists. 
And I think this is one of the situations where, I mean, I think most, you might disagree with me on this, and I think most people do disagree with me on this. But I do think that it is, I think it is too easy for people to just say, well, these people are believing in what is not following mainstream science. There is, they're just randomly believing in something based on pure blind reason. They're believing something which is completely irrational in, in comp Does someone just say you so sexy in the comments? <laughs> nice, anyway. Are you just <laughs> that just popped up on the side? I was like, oh my gosh, what's going on here? But <laughs> okay, but essentially, um... <laughs> but essentially uh, continuing on our discussion about with uh, the kind of the young earth creationists, I I do admire in some sense the faith that the and I'm not sure if using the faith the word faith here is is the appropriate word here, but I do think there is room and there is a place for the young earth creationists because I think they demonstrate something very valuable about. The Christian faith in the sense that, or the Christian belief in the sense that, well, it doesn't really, like, what exactly is the most important thing about Christianity? Is it believing how old the, the world is? Do you go to heaven because of how old how old you think the world is? I, I don't think it is a biblical thing. And, I, and this ties into kind of the critique that Ken Ham goes against William Lane Craig. It, they're making such a big deal, I think, about, of, about an issue in Genesis. I'm not saying that Genesis isn't important because I think Genesis has a lot and a lot of value and things you can learn from it. But what I'm saying is, well, this is not a key central doctrine to what Christians believe in. Like, why are we picking so much fights over how old the world is when there's so much more important things for us to do? Like, on one hand, you see you see William Lane Craig calling the young earth creationists an embarrassment. And on the other hand, you see Ken Ham and them calling William Lane Craig an embarrassment and just unintellectual and stuff like that. I'm like, mm -hmm. you guys are meant to be brothers in Christ. I mean, you might have different beliefs. I have different beliefs with William Lane Craig. I have different beliefs with you. But I don't go around calling you an embarrassment or an uh, unintellectual, dishonest person because, well, these things aren't... I don't call you a heretic because these things are not central tenets of the Christian faith. In the same way, I don't think creationism is a central tenet of the Christian faith. And as a result, I don't see why people have hold so much significance on how old the world is. I'm not sure if it's just because I grew up in a Chinese culture and we don't really worry too much about tiny details. That's like a part of what we kind of are brought up to believe. And maybe you have like a different like view about it, but I'm just interested to see how you kind of think about it, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky because like I never like calling like other people like an embarrassment. Like I, I try to be like as friendly as possible. Um, so like in a sense, I agree with you like, like I I have I love Craig's work, but like just calling young Earth creationists an, isn't as an calling young Earth creationists an embarrassment is, is kind of harsh. Um, and then like the fact that Ken Ham does it too is just disappointing. And I think my biggest problem is I think it's when we make these like non central issues central issues. Like I have a lot of issues with young Earth creationism. Like like Ken talked about like the observation thing and like well how, for all we know like we were created five minutes ago. And all our memories from the past are just like they were put implanted into us. So like if that's like our scientific methodology, we're gonna have a lot of issues because you really can't do anything with regards to like science. Um, but like that aside, like it's just like when you make these central, these non-central issues, central issues. Um, that's where like the problems really come because like it seems like like Ham is saying like you have like if you are gonna like respect the authority of the Bible, you have to accept this view, and you don't like. Yeah, like I understand your interpretation, um, but that's not like the conclusive proof. Like, there's no like central articles of like if you look at the creeds that say, "Oh, and you have to believe the Earth is created six thousand years ago." Like, that's just not an essential issue in Christianity. Um, 
So we should talk about it. Like, you know, like you have the whole Calvinism debate or like when was the rap, when is the rapture, like these things, but these aren't central issues. So we should like um, draw our line in the sand and say, you can't come over here. Um, or like, you, just, you like, if you don't agree with me, then like I'm cutting you out basically. Like, so that, that's my main issue with um, what Ken's saying here. I completely agree with you on that. And I do have a bit of an issue about, like, about the idea of Ken Ham's use of kind of history. I think, I can't exactly remember what terms he used, but then in his dis discussion about Bill Nye, he used two types of different histories. One was like kind of like observational history and mm -hmm. one was like history about the past or something like that. I, I, I'm yeah. sure this is not the vocabulary he used to describe it, but something along those lines. And you're like, well, well, on that basis, what exactly can you possibly, as you said, what exactly can you possibly know about anything? Most of our understanding about the history of the world are from things which aren't directly written about or you don't exactly observe it. I mean, our belief that aeroplanes were created by some brothers in the USA, or I, I, my, my history is horrible about that, but, or the, the idea that Greeks existed, that's not like observational history stuff. That's like you mm -hmm. see manuscripts written by different people in the past. And that's mm -hmm. like a very valuable way of knowing things. Like there, you have to take into consideration the entire spectrum of ways you get knowledge. And that's the same goes with atheism. That's the same with secular humanism. That's the same with Christianity. You cannot constrain your knowledge to only one form of learning knowledge. You can't just, in the case of secular humanism, you can't just constrain yourself to empiricism and reasons that that's not sufficient. When it comes to Christianity, you can't just say, well, let's just look at the most literal interpretation of the Bible. And even what, what on earth does literal interpretation of the Bible actually mean? Mm -hmm. Does it mean yeah. it reading it as exactly as it is? Or does it mean that getting at what the writer intended it to mean? For example, if I read a poem, Maybe it's William Blake's tiger. It's like tiger, tiger, burning bright in the forest of the night. Do, does he actually mean that God is a literal tiger crawling and creeping around inside a forest at night? That's probably not what William Blake is trying to say. But then you could take it completely literally, but also understanding its metaphorical and allegorical nature as well. So mm. in each situation, like there's so much more ways to get knowledge than just this kind of observational understanding, which seems to just completely go against himself because... I don't think Ken Ham himself would say, well, we can observe absolutely all our forms of knowledge about religion. A lot of our understanding about God isn't about what we observe. It's about what we get from philosophy, what we get from metaphysics, what we get from metaethics. These things are all very different from just the, the only observational thing as well. So I think it's, it's very wrong for us to just limit ourselves to only one way of learning stuff. There's a lot of ways to gain different knowledge and ideas. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm on the same page as you. It's just like once again, it's just frustrating when people um, make non-central issues central issues. Like, like the creation debate. Like that should just be an in-house conversation. We can reasonably disagree and love each other regardless of what we believe. And like, like I may have like very a lot of issues with like a young earth creationist view. But, like I still respect them and love them, and I hope they have the same for me. Um, so like as Christians. So yeah. I'm quite curious about that because, I mean, we don't have that much of a young earth creationist kind of narrative or debate in Hong Kong where I live. And so, I, so when I first heard this, I was like, what, what's going on? What's gone wrong here? And I'm just wondering from your perspective, like, is, do you think that the focus on this young earth, old earth, or I don't even know what the different interpretations of the Bible for the Genesis are called, but young earth, old earth, you got what I mean? kind of these yeah. things, is it mainly brought up because of the atheist critique of Christianity or is it just brought up between inside the Christian school itself? Like where yeah. did it actually come from? Yeah, so I think like growing up, like it always seemed like 
like we didn't talk about it that much, but like when it got brought up, it was like, oh, you know, um, we can't accept evolution. That's going to undermine the Bible, um, you know, or like, oh, the earth, like, you know, we have to take Genesis literally. Like there was a time when Ken Ham came to our town. It was like, it was a big deal. Cause it was like, he's defending the faith and da, 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 da. Um, so I think a lot of the times, at least like in the circles I grew up in, it was kind of like, it was a big deal. And like, you know, like if we don't accept Genesis, Genesis literally, like the whole house of cards is going to fall. Um, we have to fight it to our last, our last bit. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it, it was a different culture growing up and like, luckily, like I didn't really fall into that. And like, there was a time where I was like, oh, well, creationism has to be true. But then I kind of realized, well, no, it's just one interpretation of Genesis. Um, so yeah, that's kind of like my perspective on it. So I think it's a lot different than yours is Josh. Yeah, that's a very valuable insight because I, I, I just never got in my head around how or why the entire thing came to be. I was just looking at this mm-hmm. and I'm like, what exactly has gone, gone, like, what's exactly gone wrong here? I suppose it's kind of like I, I was looking at American football as a guy playing rugby. and I'm like, what exactly is this? Like people are wearing <laughs> helmets now. What's going on with yeah. rugby now? And uh-huh. so like, I guess it was just kind of new to me, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's different. And I think that's something cool but challenging is like we all come from like cultures like you've been in hong kong literally 12 hours across the time zone right now like you've a lot different life experiences than i do um but we still have like this gospel that unifies us i think that's something really cool about christianity um that's the end of our clips josh do you have any kind of like last thoughts or things you want to say before we start to wrap up here i think we could end off with kind of like what you said with like the unity and the beauty of christianity i was looking at this statistic recently and it's about like how exactly our religions have distributed around the world and i haven't Mm -hmm. done much empirical research into what exactly or where the sources of this clip I saw came from but I think it seems quite true at least from my understanding of history and my understanding of like kind of how the world has been developing over the last hundred years it's this idea that well Muslims where do they most happen you see this map and then it's like mainly the Muslims all are in Middle East there's some in America of course there's some around the world but they're mainly in the Middle East some are in in Mongolia as well and and it's kind of centralized in certain areas where it's just there's a significant percentage of Muslims and there's and then it, there's only tiny percentages scattered across the world. Same goes for Buddhists. There's loads of Buddhists in in China. There's loads of Buddhists in like Japan. And then of course you can say there's some. The J- J- Japanese Buddhism is a bit different from like uh, Asian Chinese Buddhism, but what, whatever. They're kind of all in the Buddhist bracket. And then Hinduism is the same. They're mainly focused in Thailand or India. But then you see Christianity, and it's like it's spread out all around the world. It's not just kind of. It's not just people in America, like a lot of these narratives like to say, well, all these Christians are just these like white Anglico-American kind of Protestant Christians just stuck mm-hmm. up all together in this kind of privileged system in, in America. Like that's like just a false narrative. There's there's loads of Christians in Africa. And I think I've probably raised this anecdote before, but one of the strongest Christians I know is a guy living in Africa who could barely put, put three meals on his table every day. And then there's people in like China, there's people in Hong Kong, there's people down in Australia. There's people all around the world which all believe in Christianity, and it's a really balanced proportion all around the world. I think that looking at this unity is just so beautiful because that's exactly what we want to see, and that's exactly what's so beautiful about Christianity is that no matter how far you are, how different you are from people, I mean, give me like two years ago and told me I'll be discussing with some guy from Zach in America about philosophy (laughs) of Christianity. I'll say you're mad, but I mean, here we are. That's just so beautiful. It's how it unifies people. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think it's so important to like, respect each other as Christians and just, yes, there are central issues which are very important that we defend. There's also differences, dis- disagreements, but then we can respect each other and discuss and build upon these disagreements to build a more beautiful kind of community. And that's also a very valuable kind of thing to look at for Christianity, mm. just so beautiful. 
Yeah, I mean, I, was, I just Googled, like, the most, the countries with the most Christians, and the top five were, like, the USA, Brazil, Mexico, the Philippines, and Ethiopia. And that's, like, four different continents represented. Um, so, yeah, I totally echo what you say, Josh. Um, well, it's been a lot of fun. I hope everyone listening um, found this constructive, um, things like that. I hope you appreciate it a lot if you tuned in. Um, Josh, do you want to kind of, like, plug in any of your stuff before we wrap things up here? Yeah, I mean, you can uh, go check me out at Apologetics for All. It's uh, it's a kind of a channel that I'm running recently. I've been doing a lot of discussions about secular humanism and different stuff like that. So if you're interested in, in kind of stuff like secular humanism, Dostoevsky and stuff, make sure to go check it out. And also, yeah, that's kind of all the stuff. Thanks for watching. And that's kind of all for me. And yeah. Yeah, thank you everyone who tuned in today. It's been a lot of fun. Um, hope you found this video constructive. If you have any thoughts, always feel free to like leave a comment or anything like that. Um, and to Dave, Zavar, Bram, everyone else who tuned in, we love you. We appreciate you. Um, and yeah, and if you enjoy the channel, always be sure to subscribe if you're new. Leave a like, leave a review. That always helps. Um, and then if you enjoy the channel, you can become a patron at patreon.com. So I should hear in apologetics for a little dollar a month. It always helps. Um, but yeah, it's been real. Josh, thanks for tuning in one last, one last time. Good luck staying up all night watching the Zero Core Finals. <laughs> Thanks a lot, mate. Have a good one, everyone, and God bless.